Hey, today's the second uh, dress rehearsal for Living Hope, and uh, you know this is a, a decent-sized crowd here now. I, I don't know if uh, the right crowd is the right word, but it's so good to see uh, all, all of you here. Some of you single, some of you are actually a family. You know, we we set up some chairs of four, and we're not we weren't sure if anyone was going to use it, but we have some families here. Um, and, you know, we're going through all these processes, and I was talking to one of our doctors yesterday, and in fact today also, and the doctors tell me Living Hope is doing more cleaning and disinfecting than even the hospitals are, or many of the hospitals, and definitely more than Costco. And so the doctors are telling me, you know, we're a clean, safe place, and I'm so grateful that we can gather together and worship. You know, the... But as many of the people who came before me talked about, today's been a heavy um, week or two weeks uh, and more uh, with George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and many more as we continue to battle social injustice. There's a, a collective pain that, uh, that so many people uh, feel, especially our black community friends, as we heard from our, our friend last week from Vaughn and, and during prayer chapel and some of the way that he put it was so stark. I also know that there's a lot of pain among um, the law enforcement community too. I got an email yesterday from a law enforcement officer from Living Hope who said, you know, I would like to volunteer for this particular ministry that Living Hope is trying to build out, but I'm not sure if people will feel uncomfortable with me. And it saddened me uh, to think that, um, that people will be categorically judged by their profession. Um, and, and I know that, uh, that all, all the law enforcement people that I know from Living Hope at least, you know, they're, uh, they're really in a difficult position because what they're trying to do is protect and to serve the best of, of their ability. Uh, but, but knowing that, that there, there are people who uh, are, are not doing right in their own profession. So we need to continue to pray for them. You know, this is in the midst of a global pandemic where 400,000 people have perished already from COVID-19. And, you know, you look at the numbers, um, I'm sure many of you do, uh, globally it's not slowing down per se. The question that some people ask is, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus, in the midst of a pandemic, go out to a protest where there's a large crowd? Would Jesus intervene when a man is barreling his knee down on the neck of another? Would Jesus defy the government, civil disobedience, or even go beyond that? What would Jesus do when he, if he sees suffering and pain? The passage that we're going to look at, um, and we're in this series that we're restarting in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. We'll be in verse uh, 21 all the way through and um, to the end, but we'll also just touch a little bit upon chapter 2, the first 12 verses. And what we're going to find in terms of the question, what would Jesus do, we get a partial answer, uh, not simply what would he do, but 
who is Jesus? And we find out that Jesus is the healer and Jesus is the teacher. He is both a healer and a teacher. When, when God intercepted humanity and he took on the, the robe of humanity, and in chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, we uh, find out that Jesus is introduced publicly by John the Baptist. He gathers his, his team, his disciples, and starting with verse uh, 21, we see uh, the initial set of priorities, the initial set of acts, the things that he does in ministry. And when we find out, if you look at the, the verses that I outlined, he does five sets of healings. He uh, goes out of his way to relieve the suffering, human suffering of people. And let me briskly go over the five healings. In verses 21 through 28, Jesus heals a man who has an unclean spirit or unclean spirits. He, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. It's like a Jewish church in verse 21. And in verse 23, in the midst of the teaching session, immediately, verse 23, there was in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, what is interesting is that this man wasn't simply someone from off the street. He was a part of their spiritual faith community. We're not quite sure how he got to where he is, perhaps, at one point in time, he was a perfectly normal a part of that community. Maybe he was part of the singles ministry, um, really, you know, being a part. But at some point in time, uh, something took a turn with him. And it said he had an unclean spirit. Maybe if he had lived today, we would say there was something wrong uh, in terms of mental health or an addiction. Perhaps he grew up in the synagogue, meaning his parents were uh, faithful serving members of the synagogue. And when they used to see him as a little kid, they used, he used to run around and say, well, that, that boy is very active, kindly stated. But as he became an adult, they realized, no, no, he is uh, different completely. Or perhaps he is someone who did come off the street and they're trying best to uh, embrace him, but really at loss for what to do with a man with an unclean spirit. They didn't know what to do until this particular moment when Jesus came and cast out that unclean spirit. In verse 29, there is a, a second healing. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. In verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. They go, uh, Jesus and his disciples goes to, uh, go to Simon or Peter's home. And uh, like many of the homes in the East, in, especially in the past, uh, they live with an extended family. We know that Simon's brother, Andrew, who's an adult, lived with him and also his mother-in-law's wife's mom. And uh, although they had guests in their home, the mother-in-law uh, was laying in bed. And I don't know about you. I'm, I, you know, my mom I, and um, 
back, you know, and even now, if she had a bunch of guests at her house, she would come out and you know, cut fruit and serve it, even if she was sick. And which means uh, this Near Eastern mother-in-law must have been really uh, sick with the fever. I know oftentimes moms are the ones who are t- taking care of everyone else and others aren't taking care of them, right? Isn't that how it is in your home a lot of the times? You know, it, it's strange because oftentimes uh, we're good at caring for or uh, crying out for the needs and the causes of strangers, but we forget the needs and, um, and the cares of those closest to us, especially if you think about the fact that it's Simon's mother-in-law, the elderly people, that they're the ones who oftentimes get neglected. I'm so grateful for Living Hope every Thursday. I know Michael and and a group of volunteers, we join um, Neighborhood Life Church and we make care packages and deliver them to the elderly every week. I'm grateful for that. Jesus goes in verse 31, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. By the way, I used to, this particular statement at the end used to bother me. Like there's this um, uh, elderly mom who's sick in bed and Jesus heals her and then she gets up and she's cutting fruit now. I thought, gosh, that's so rude. Give her some time. But then I had to kind of think about my mom or my mother-in-law. If, if they had guests over, their own children, I mean, what they want to do is to serve. The third healing occurs in verses 32 uh, through 34. Jesus heals many. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. What is different is, unlike the man at the synagogue, unlike the mother-in-law, these are a group of strangers coming off the street, bring, uh, brought by others. Nearly the whole town they were coming, and Jesus began to uh, heal them of their illness and of uh, their demon possessions. You know, uh, some would cynically say that they're all gathering simply to use Jesus, meaning they came to get healed. On the other hand, you can also say they all came because they were in pain and they thought that perhaps Jesus was the answer. Jesus healed many of them, but not all. The fourth healing occurs in verse 40 as Jesus heals a leper. Verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. You know, we've been told a number of times, and even this past um, week, leprosy is just a a, a horrendous illness, especially during this time. Not only a a permanent, uh, painful disease, but what was most frightening about leprosy or Hansen's disease, as it is called today, it is an isolating disease. The reason why it's such an isolating disease is that although leprosy is not a highly contagious condition, it is nevertheless a contagious 
condition. And that prolonged exposure, as if if you are living with that person, you can catch leprosy. And so the biblical guideline and the cultural guideline is that those with leprosy must live outside of the, the boundaries of the city. And when they, near, when they get near people or people are coming by, they have to yell, unclean, unclean. It's as if someone has COVID and you must live outside, not near anyone. And you have to spend the rest of your life unlike COVID because it doesn't have a, a period of time when, it, when your body can heal. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. You know, so far we are told everything that God-man did, this is the first time we're told what God-man felt. He felt pity, emotion, compassion. I, I think it's been a long time since anyone touched this leper that Jesus did. And fifth and final uh, set of healings, and Pastor James is going to cover this more in depth next week, but in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, there is a paralytic, most likely a quadriplegic, uh, who his, um, his friends carry and they dig a hole on the, the roof and, and bring him down so that Jesus heals. Let me make four observations about the five healings. And if we can just kind of look at the, the chart here. There are five healings. Man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Friend's mother-in-law with a debilitating fever. Various people from town with sickness and oppressed uh, by demons. Uh, a man from the street with leprosy, and man with four friends, paralysis. Okay. Uh, let me make four observations. First is this, that all are prone to suffer. Everyone is prone to suffer. That suffering isn't reserved uh, for just uh, the ungodly people. Uh, uh, but it's also for those who are within the faith community. You know, you ask any of our medical professionals if the hospitals are filled with just non-Christians or are they filled with Christians and non-Christians. If you go to the cemetery, I guarantee you it is filled with both Christians and non-Christians. That every one of us are prone to suffer while we live on this side of heaven. That we all bleed the same. That when we talk about suffering or pain in this uh, world, don't think it's a them problem, but it's an our problem. The second observation I have is this, that Jesus cares about all human suffering. He cares about the disability of a par uh, paralyzed man, as well as one who is a, has a, a temporary fever, or maybe a migraine, if you will. He cares about those who are close to us in terms of relational distance and those who are far from us. He cares about those who are like us and those who are marginalized and not like us. Jesus cares about all human suffering. Thirdly, Jesus cares about human suffering un 
unconditionally. Now, let me try to kind of explain this. And this may seem like a kind of a no-brainer. Well, yes, of course, doesn't God care about everyone unconditionally, per se? You know, oftentimes within the church, when we do missional work, evangelistic work, um, one of the things that missionaries have done or what we do is we feed the poor or we, we set up hospitals in Central Asia. Uh, we put on children's programs somewhere, uh, etc. And part of our mission, so-called, is to provide good works so that people receive good news, right? Good works for the purpose of receiving good news. That's kind of our strategy. And unless there's good news preached explicitly that we, we're not sure if the good works was necessary. But now, I, I don't know for a fact, but let me give you hypothetically what I think was happening. Recall how Jesus was healing people um, in that town. They were just bringing them to him. He's exhausted. I don't know if Jesus said before each healing, now before I uh, cure you of your condition, will you repent and become a Christ follower? If you say yes, then I will heal you. Or is it that Jesus simply was moved with compassion and he healed? And that some may have become Christ followers, but others may have been healed physically that day, but never followed Christ. And Jesus, having known that, still he healed them. Listen, we are called, at least if we're going to follow Jesus' model, we are called uh, to relieve human suffering, help with human flourishing, uh, period, even though sometimes it doesn't necessarily lead to evangelistic opportunities. Fourthly, uh, Jesus cares about human suffering in human ways. Jesus cares about human suffering in human ways. Let me look at the chart again. I want you, I'm going to point something out to you. So the man in the synagogue, uh, unclean spirit was um, taken out. Friend's mother-in-law with a debilitating fever. Jesus took her by the hand and lifted her up. And various people from town, the sick and oppressed by demons, were healed and cast out. And lastly, a man with four friends who was paralyzed, God spoke to him or Jesus spoke to him. I want you to look at this uh, chart here, a table. What do one, two, three, and five have in common, but number four does not? And, and, and it is this. One, two, three, and the fifth healing all occurs within the context of some sort of a relational community that those individuals have. The man in the synagogue, uh, a, a mother-in-law from a family, and people were bringing these sick people to Jesus and a man with four friends. Who's the only one that does not have a community around them? It's the isolated leper. He's the one from the street that goes to Jesus, kneels, if you're willing, you can heal me. Leprosy is a, a, not only a, a painful a condition, but an isolating condition, and it's not a surprise that this man was alone in life. People hadn't touched him 
for years I'm imagining. But I also want you to notice how they were healed. That moved with pity, and like I said, um, we're told what Jesus did, but this is the only time we are told what Jesus felt. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. I I want you to think with me that Jesus could have simply said to him, you will be healed, but he did not simply say it. But in a way that human beings can understand and that in a way that we can kind of uh, feel, he touched him. That Jesus cares about human suffering in human ways. Uh, what is the big picture takeaway from here? And, and it's very clear to me that when Jesus began, when the God uh, man began his set of actions, he looked at human suffering and he cared about human suffering. He cared about the pain that exists in the world. Pain, pained Jesus. It mattered to him. You know, I said last week that Jesus is the representation, the image, um, the manifestation of God. It is uh, through Jesus we can understand God and what is God like. Well, we know through these sets of action that God deeply cares about human suffering. He cares about all sorts of suffering that we feel. Not only the the sicknesses and the disabilities, uh, he, he cares about the injustices as well as the misunderstandings. God cares when uh, it hurts us, when we are isolated or we are uh, financially broken. It hurts us when our marriages are in turmoil or our relationship with our children or our parents are broken. It hurts God when we hurt. You know, as a father, and I'm sure there are many parents here and and there, as a parent, you know what it means to have your heart broken at watching your kids hurt. And sometimes when you think about it in big picture, you know that they will be okay, but it still hurts you. A long time ago when one of my daughters, um, my older daughter was a toddler, uh, we were cooking rice for something, I don't know, but you know, in a rice cooker, steam comes out, right? There's a little hole, steam comes out. And, and uh, my daughter uh, put her finger on that little hole and she burnt her finger. And as parents, we were like, oh no, you know, so we, it was kind of late at night, we took her to the emergency room and they gave her some antibiotics. You know, it wasn't a big deal, of course, but as parents, I mean, you think the world is ending. And they gave us um, a prescription for pain medication. And so we took her home, but the problem was that all the pharmacies uh, were closed by then. So I had to look in the yellow pages, and this was before the internet, um, so uh, a literal yellow pages for a 24-hour uh, pharmacy. 
I found one, and it was a little bit of a way. I don't think I had a cell phone back then. And this whole time, my daughter was, um, was crying because it hurt. And so, you know, I went, my wife stayed with my daughter, and I, I was buying the, the pain medication, and I was just sitting there waiting uh, with just a lot of pain. <laughs> but, but listen, I kind of knew that the finger is going to be fine. It's not infected. I mean, it's all going to be okay. But just to know that it hurt my daughter hurt me. And I wonder when God walked onto earth as a man and he saw pain and suffering, it just hurt him to see us hurt. And what, I, listen, I think that's such good news. Because it doesn't matter whether it's a migraine or a disability, whether it seems silly as other people see it or personal just to us, when we hurt, our Father hurts with us. Our pains pain him. But Jesus is not only a healer, but he is a teacher. He is also a teacher. The first thing that Jesus did was actually not heal the man in the synagogue, but he went into the synagogue uh, to teach. Verse 21, and they went into the uh, Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching And in verse 27, it says, um, the people were marveling because it was a new teaching with authority. His healing actually was a validation of his teaching that I can teach with authority. And although healing was important, in verse 38, uh, we find out he goes out and prays. And in verse 38, when the disciples find him, he says, you know, I, I, I... Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus says that the reason I came is not necessarily just to heal, but to preach. And let me tell you why. Because healing physically is temporary. But what he, Jesus knew was that people needed healing eternally, a permanent healing. And that is the message of the gospel. That is why I came. You know, um, healing. And, and this is kind of a, a silly thought, but I, I still have these nerdy thoughts. Um, and don't misunderstand me, but um, you can heal someone but that healing doesn't last forever. Healing is all temporary, always temporary. Because eventually everyone ends in mortality. And Jesus heals because he loved the people whom he encountered. But what he wanted more was eternal healing. You know, when we look at the teachings of Jesus and if that's what he came for, what did Jesus really teach? And, and sometimes we think that what Jesus taught was that he taught us to be good, a better version of ourselves so that we can become acceptable to God. But if you really examine the teachings of Jesus, what you'll find is that Jesus taught in hyperbole oftentimes. 
He taught at the Sermon on the Mount that if you just uh, think of a woman and have lustful thoughts, or if you have negative, hateful thoughts against someone, it's adultery and murder. He said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and treat people as you would want yourself exactly treated. He, he said to the rich young ruler who wanted uh, eternal life, he said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor so that now they have too much. It, it's, it's ironic. If you think about it, those are hyperbolic statements. The rich young ruler said, well, who can be saved then? And listen, the point of Jesus' teaching is not necessarily that if you do all these things, you'll be good enough, that you'll be healthy spiritually enough to live forever. But uh, the point of, the broad point of Jesus' teaching is this. You can do everything in your power, but you'll never be good enough. You'll never earn acceptance to God, and you need someone, something else. And all of the years that Jesus' teaching pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that needs to be made that someone good had to die for you. You know, uh, we sometimes think that if we just try harder, that I can have ultimate healing. If I was just good enough, I can bring ultimate healing. I remember my wife and I were having a meal with a couple one time, and uh, both very, very smart people and uh, the, the wife um, graduated from a liberal arts, uh, a lead liberal arts school in the East Coast, and after she graduated, she worked at the UN for a little while. She wanted to change the world, she said. But eventually, and I was fascinated, well, what did you do at the UN? And um, she eventually said that she, she quit because she realized that policies can't actually change people. People have to be changed internally. People can never become good enough. Someone good enough had to die for them. And that is Jesus Christ. What is God like? What would Jesus do? We can't simply imitate Jesus to become good enough. Jesus already did what he did. So that even if we fail to be like Jesus in so many areas of our life, that we are still forgiven and accepted. That's the good news. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for your grace once again. And we thank you that it is not on the basis of how hard we try, because no matter how much we try, we know we'll never, ever be good enough. Lord, but it is on the basis of your goodness and your goodness alone and the sacrifice that you have paid. So I pray, I pray for each one of the men and women in this room, all the, the people watching today, Lord. We're, we're pained, and we thank you for caring about our pains. But we, care, we thank you more for caring about our eternal pain and dying uh, for that. We're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.